Hello, everybody. I'm Eddie Braun, professional stuntman, and you are lucky enough to be listening to Then Is Now with Rigor. Warning, warning. Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Hello and welcome to Then Is Now Podcast's yearly 13 Days of Hallowtober event. I'm your host, Rigor. Today I'm joined once again by John Grace, host of the Midnight Movie Cowboys. John has joined my my co-hosts Patsy and I on the East Meets the West podcast in the past, as well as an episode of last year's 13 Days where the topic was zombies and we covered Kung Fu Zombie. Uh, We recently discussed the film Mr. Vampire and we're back again for more Hong Kong goodness. Glad you could join me again today, John. Yeah, glad to be here. I don't know if goodness is really the best description (laughs) of a vampire because, boy, this is a contrast. You talk about yin and yang. Uh, with this and Mr. Vampire, boy. Ooh. I know, I know. Uh, we'll get into that. So, uh, as I said, we're continuing our yearly event called 13 Days of Hallowtober. Our theme this year is vampire movies, and today we're going to discuss the Hong Kong film Robo Vampire from 1988. So, sit back and get ready for what could be a really interesting discussion. <laughs> Class is in session.
make use of his body to create an android-like robot. Mr. Glenn, will you approve my application? You're assured of success? Innocent men and women are thrust into the living nightmare of a vampire incarnate. So, folks, there's not really one detailed synopsis like the one we did for Mr. Vampire. Um, so, like the film itself, I sort of cobbled together ones that I found online and uh, do it the best I can. Now, the basic plot is narcotics agent Tom Wilde is given a second chance at life after being shot and killed. In a futuristic experiment, Agent Wilde is returned to life as a robo-warrior. He's sent on a very dangerous mission into the depths of the Golden Triangle to rescue Sophie, a beautiful undercover agent who's been captured by the evil drug warlord Mr. Young and his inhuman creation, the Vampire Beast. Now, I found one that was a little bit more detailed. I think it was on Letterboxd. Someone wrote this. Um, <laughs> it might have been you, John. <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't be me. <laughs> okay. So this one outlines the plot as such. Drug dealers are using a Taoist or Taoist mystic to control Chinese hopping vampires so they can smuggle their drugs. He creates a super hopping vampire as their master weapon. The super hopping vampire has a ghost witch lover who yearns to be with him for eternity. So she joins the battle to be with her man. Now, you have to understand that the United States Army is hunting these drug dealers as well in its official capacity as drug enforcement police. So when one of their officers is killed, they make an android-like robot to battle the drug dealers and their vampires with his corpse. Also, there's a separate story where an undercover agent is captured by the drug dealers. They set about using Chinese water torture to make her talk. The Chinese water torture, if she breaks, all of the other undercover agents will be in... Oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I said that wrong. The Chinese water torture. <laughs> if she breaks, all the other undercover agents will be in danger. So a group of mercenaries heads into the jungle to rescue her. Uh, these stories never actually cross paths. They continue on their merry way until totally separate bloody conclusions, which aren't very fulfilling. So, John, first impressions yeah. on Robo Vampire. When did you first see this? Uh, I believe I rented this in the 90s, maybe 1990 or so. I may not have. There was a point where if you went to your favorite mom and pop video store, they their martial arts section back then, it would be your basics. The Bruce Lee movies. You would have some Bruce Bruce Lee uh, clone films with Bruce Lai or Dragon Lee. Right. And um, you might be lucky if there's a couple of Shaw Brothers films there. But most of the time, the shelves were cluttered with these Godfrey Ho hybrid patchwork movies. And they were they had titles like Ninja Terminator, Ninja Exterminator, Ninja Slayer, Ninja Hunter, Ninja, you know, they 
and the films when you'd rent them, they tended to be these older Taiwanese crime dramas with wraparound footage of Richard Harrison or some other uh, actor or non-actor wearing ninja costumes and acting out some sort of drama. And I think he wised up. Godfrey Ho realized he couldn't keep the ninja scam going, so uh, he he did. Uh, he started doing science fiction wraparounds and anything else to cash in on the trend. So I think I may have rented this back then. Uh, watching it on Tubi last night, I didn't really recognize it, but I wouldn't. I would have probably tried to erase this movie from my memory had I rented it in 1990, and I have forgotten about a lot of these. But this is, uh, uh, I would say. Let's just say that Last Night on Tubi was my first real comprehensive viewing of it. And let's include the ads, the Tubi ads with that. Right. <laughs> I think I'm in the same boat. I'm pretty sure I saw this on VHS back in the 90s. I remember being completely underwhelmed, but uh, entertained by it. The same holds true for this viewing. You know, the, the, the story is just so disjointed. It didn't make a lick of sense. I did like the vampire scenes. I thought they were consistent with... Um, which obviously they they ripped off RoboCop and Mr. Vampire, um, right? But but the the Robo Warrior suit, it just looked like something out of a student film. And you know what? I, I'm taking that back because that's an insult to student films. <laughs> it is. It's kind of mean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I apologize to all student <laughs> filmmakers out there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it it's funny because. Uh, Back in the uh, the early 90s, I appeared in some backyard cinema where we were doing uh, some basically stuff inspired by karate movies and uh, Japanese superhero films and, and whatever, and some Hong Kong stuff. And uh, the costumes we had looked, which were assembled from like toy stores and thrift shops, uh, <laughs> looked better than this robo. <laughs> vampire thing the this robocop knockoff they had in this this movie uh which i think they did the same thing i think they went to toy stores and uh thrift stores and and came up with this sort of thing which is uh godfrey ho was a uh, a specialist in that uh the, his distributor the people he worked for ifd or filmmark or whatever or aso asia there's different the comp- different companies under different incarnations with a lot of the same people involved. They would get the rights to these old films or get the rights to an import film like a South Korean movie. And then they would shoot additional footage and Godfrey Ho would... Sometimes they wouldn't shoot any footage at all. they just do the dub and the music or change the music. And Godfrey Ho would put his credit over the Korean director or the Taiwanese director. In this case, they used an old Thai, older Thai film from like 1984 or 85 and... Godfrey Ho slaps his name on it, and all the tie credits are kind of Caucasianed on the um, on the credits here. Was that Devil's Dynamite? Uh, Devil's Dynamite was done that way as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, like, okay, I, locally, I live near Denver, so I became friends with uh, recently with Bobby Kim, who was in the seventies was the Oriental Bronson. He would make these basically these chop sake thrillers in South Korea. And they would get purchased by distributors in Taiwan and and Hong Kong. And in one case, one of his films was purchased by Godfrey Ho's company. I believe it was Asso Asia, and which I think was short for Associate Asia. And um, <laughs> Godfrey Ho puts his name on the credits. And I asked Bobby. I said, Bobby, did you work with Godfrey? He goes, No, I never met him. And, so it's like, and it says directed by Godfrey Ho. So it's like that's what he would do. And I'm Facebook friends with Godfrey Ho on 
And uh, he doesn't post too often, but his one most memorable post was he had seen Twilight and he says, boy, this is a bad movie. It's worse than my movies. (laughs) He has a sense of humor. I think he knows he was no like uh, he wasn't an artist. That's awesome. he, He understood his business. I've even seen him go by the name Joe Livingstone, and I think he did that on this movie, at least in the initial release. <laughs> oh my gosh! Some of the the way they would anglicize the names, it's just it cracks me up. Right. I had trouble doing research on this film because the the Hong Kong movie database kind of conflicted with the IMDb one. But Godfrey Ho supposedly yeah. is um, a couple of his films are like full, like you mentioned some of them, and there's also Full Metal Ninja from '89. Clash of the Ninjas from 86 and right. uh, Ninja Terminator from 85, which I believe all those um, make Michael Dudikoff's American Ninja look like Citizen Kane, as far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah, they do. And I'm not a big fan of American Ninja, but I'd take it over a lot of this crap. <laughs> now, in the Hong Kong movie database, it lists Chang Tao or Chang Dao as the action director. They don't actually. Yeah, Chang Tao even... is in the beginning of the film. Yeah. Okay. Because they don't even list Godfrey Ho in the in their page for this movie, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, it, it's uh, it's it's very weird. Um, like they've got action director Cheng Tao. He was probably the choreographer, uh, but I do think Godfrey Ho probably patched this together. They p- may not have wanted to confirm because I, you know, we we got into this on the East Meets West podcast, but. It's um, that Chang Che didn't really direct some of the Venoms movies. Really, the Venoms directed themselves. Right. And I think there may be a credit dispute on the whole Godfrey Ho thing. Like, right. how much work did he actually do on these films? And, you know, who know, who knows where all that is? Because so much of this isn't really documented anywhere. And these were such, like, uh, rip-off. You know, they, they were total ripoffs, basically, to American video stores and European video stores that it's sort of a weird uh, thing of its own because I really have a grudge against these films because I always think people were trying to get into Hong Kong cinema. They'd rent one of these things and go, OK, I'm done. I'm not watching any more of this stuff. And right. they would typify the genre by this type of type of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And even Godfrey Ho was listed as a writer under the name Willie Palmer. <laughs> No, of course, yeah, Willie Palmer. That's uh, I believe that's American for uh, oh, the, the now, Cantonese name of Godfrey Ho. <laughs> right now, trying to you know go through the cast is going to be very difficult, so we're not going to get super deep into it um, because, like I said, the Hong Kong movie database was completely different from IMDb, and I, I'm pretty sure that probably has to do with the fact that he was patching a couple different films together for this. But I yeah. was surprised to see Sun Chin one of the Venoms, mm-hmm. at least at the beginning of this, and then he shows up at one point later on. Yeah. Um, he didn't really get to do much. It's too bad, because like, I saw him, I recognized him. I was like, oh, Sun Chan is in this, and then he didn't really do anything. <laughs> right. It, well, I, I noticed with his career, he went from Shaw Brothers to doing movies for Godfrey Ho. Oh, okay. And, yeah. and Thomas Tang, and producer Thomas Tang, like he, he did not get that respectable jump to golden harvest or dnb or cinema city he ends up working for godfrey ho which was a that's a graveyard for your career yeah and pretty much. maybe you it wasn't going to go much beyond that you know i know i know a lot of these guys know that i have only got so many certain years left that i could do a jump spinning back kick on camera so you know i'm just gonna go for the easy money and 
wear this stupid costume or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to mention um, uh Four of the actors that I highlighted here, and then um, you can either el- embellish or elaborate on those or and talk about any of the others. A whole bunch right. of them. I mean, especially the American actors. They were only in this and like two others, like the Mercenary and the Jaguar Project. Right. But there was one, um, Tao Chang, who has been in uh, 220 mm-hmm. Kung Fu films, and we actually talked about him in Kung Fu Zombie. When we did that last yes. year, and I noticed on his on his resume, a whole bunch of his movies have the name Bruce in the title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he uh, he worked with Bruce Lee a lot, and um, worked with I think it's a Bruce Lee movies, and uh, yeah, he didn't care what he worked in as long as he was working right, and um, and he has that distinctive character actor face uh, for playing a villain in these films, and uh, is is always a very reliable martial arts performer, right. But his filmography is exhaustive. It's like it covers all the corners of the of Hong Kong cinema. Oh yeah, yeah. So you know, none of these um, names that I looked up have the characters next to them. Uh, so who did he play in this? He he was. You could spot him in the beginning. He's got the mustache. Oh okay. And yeah, and and I believe he probably did do the fight choreography. I think the Hong Kong movie database, the Hong Kong movie database is going to be way more accurate than IMDb. Because at least the Hong Kong movie database is French and American fans, I believe, confirming this stuff. And they're a little more logical. Whereas IMDb is just going to take what the, the on-screen credits are or whatever the, the studio might supply them with. Right, right. So there was one... Um, oh, I never heard of this guy, but uh, th- one of the credits was Lack Apichat. But he also went by Luck Apichat or Andy Apichat. Okay, he's probably one of the Thai actors from the Thai footage. Right, because they also said he goes by Chi Lu. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, the um, like the different the people that uh, the Caucasians in the cast are very likely Australians or English. Usually they're like t- English teachers or people who just came to Hong Kong to work and they get recruited over it. I believe the place is called Wan Chai Towers or wherever where all the the uh, Guaylos would basically stay. They would rent apart. They could rent apartments for a reasonable price. And a lot of these studios would recruit them and say, Hey, you want to be in a movie? We'll pay you, you know, $15 a day or something like that. And um, that's where I think a lot of these, um, these so-called uh, Americans or this Ernest Mauser and Paul John Stanners and Kent Wills. I think it's where they got them from. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. They're not professional actors. They, these things were so low budget. They didn't, I mean, you could tell they just didn't care. <laughs> we're just trying to get wraparound footage so we could sell this kind of dull uh, Thai drug, you know, drug cartel movie or whatever with wraparound sci-fi horror footage and just cover all different markets. And we'll have a good painting on the cover. <laughs> just like, And what I would notice a lot of times, uh, like Transworld Entertainment, boy, they couldn't use that name today, but Transworld Entertainment, when they would release these on video, the cover art, I'm assuming, was probably done in Hong Kong. And sometimes they would do a complete knockoff of a destroyer paperback cover. So you would have the <laughs> you would have the white guy yelling on one side like Remo, and then you would have the old Asian guy yelling on the other side like Chun, like they would do the split head uh, you know, in the center. Right. So it was a complete knockoff of a like a destroyer novel uh cover. It's like somebody picked one of those up and just did that cover for the videotape. It was unreal what they would get away with back then. 
That's hilarious. Yeah, and then this one, if you've looked at the cover art, it's a total ripoff of RoboCop. I mean, it looks almost identical to the actual American RoboCop. <laughs> yes, if Orion Pictures cared, they could have sued him for trademark infringement. Right. But they probably didn't pay no attention to this and was just like, oh, no, people know that's they're not going to confuse it. Right. Like, we used to have a saying like um, as horror fans, like when I was a horror fan going to video stores in the 80s, remember the best covers were always like those wizard videos and the yeah. Yeah. It was like they had these amazing painted covers, which were usually they were from uh, Germany or Switzerland from from those different companies when they would put the export ad art on them and stuff like yeah it'd be anyway you would rent it it would be some garbage jess franco movie that would just bore you to tears <laughs> and uh where nothing would happen but it had this amazing cover that made it look like the greatest jello meets edgar Allan poe thing you could ever imagine right and um it was kind of like beware of the great cover art or the great garish cover art you know and i think even fangoria mentioned that in their editorial or something like that when that magazine was worth reading and uh, that's kind of the philosophy here. They get the spiffy uh, video box to catch your attention because the movie's just going to be junk. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah. It's funny. When they started releasing those Golden Harvest movies on Cinema Group Home Video, I said, finally, we're getting some quality Hong Kong movies. They had the worst covers imaginable. <laughs> it would just be a close-up of Jackie Chan's face yelling. Right. You know? <laughs> just, Jackie Chan's police force. I guess he screams, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> My lucky stars. He's just standing in a park, wearing like members-only clothing. You know, it's just like what the hell? That's funny. Do they know what they're selling here? What <laughs> on earth? You know, there was only one actor that kind of—I mean, I didn't recognize him, but I was looking at the um, his credits. Guy named Manop Aswathep, and he was in a bunch of exploitation films, including Operation Black Panther. So he seemed like he was probably the real actor in the the whole bunch of them. <laughs> Oh, possibly. Was he one of the, was he in the Thai footage? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, you. I couldn't tell you, because I, I was getting confused. I would say they did a better job of confusing me what was the Thai footage and what was the new footage than other Godfrey Ho patchwork movies. Right. That have the, always, uh, like, I've always found annoying. And like, you could, okay, obviously this Jimmy Wang Yu movie or this Angela Mao Ying movie was made in 1978 and this new footage with Richard Harrison and some white guys they recruited over at the Wanchai Towers. Okay, this was clearly made in 86 or whatever. And um, and you could tell the difference. But here, I was getting a little confused because they they did a pretty good job of cross-cutting between the two scenarios. It's like you had to assume if you didn't see a robot or a vampire, it was the tie footage. Right. But if you saw a robot or a vampire, it was the new Godfrey Hill footage. And there was slight differences in the color between those yeah. scenes, you know? Yeah, the print the print color is definitely different. Yeah. It's like it's better lit in the Hong Kong footage, I think. Right, right. I mean, oh man, it just the story is just freaking all over the place. There were so many sides and factions. I not only had a hard time telling who was on whose side, but what even the heck was going on. I read mm -hmm. a, a great line online. Someone posted. They said RoboCop and Mister Vampire both made a bunch of money. Is there some way we can get some of that cash? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Or at least get into video stores. Um, they did a series. Godfrey Ho did a series of films after doing stuff like Robo, Robo Vampire and Devil's Dynamite. He did this. Um, he did these films. I think they were called like Panther Man or something or Cat Man. 
Hmm. And he did a couple of them with a kickboxer. I believe Wayne Archer was the star. Um, I didn't look this up because I, I I dread like looking into this stuff. This is like a segment of the <laughs> exploitation cinema I don't really like looking into. <laughs> he uh, did something similar with like a series with a kickboxing superhero and probably shot these films in a week and uh, probably wrapped them around some older films that they were just, you know, repackaging to to get it out there. That's funny. Yeah, because when you and I were off mic, we were discussing what films to talk about. I just happened to be on Tubi, and I go, oh, Robo Vampire's on there. And you're like, all right, let's do it. I'm like, okay, I don't really remember if it's any good, but it's probably shit. <laughs> and you know what? It's a nice yeah. contrast to Mr. <laughs> Vampire, because Mr. Vampire was so well done, and this is so poorly executed. It's hilarious. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like going from The Godfather to... Uh... Like one of those mobster knockoff films from the mid seventies. Oh my or, god! Uh, like the um, massacre mafia style. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or um, you know, Apocalypse Now, and then you watch uh, Antonio Margariti's The Last Hunter. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So I looked at on IMDb, and there's just like a shit ton of bloopers in the movie. There's, you know, uh, there's a set of railings on a set of stairs in the Chinese inn. They keep getting knocked down and somehow they keep getting put back up again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's goof ups with the gun. Like, uh, one guy's got an M 60. Um, but then, you know, he shoots, but there's no ammunition belt because M uh, right, 60s right. don't <laughs> use a magazine. <laughs> right, right, right. But that used to be a blooper in Japanese Yakuza films. Oh, really? Uh, because you couldn't, in Japan, you couldn't get guns. Guns are very difficult to get because they've always been illegal in Japan. And so Toei Studios, who was making all these uh, mobster films or Yakuza films, they would create these fake guns to use on camera that were <laughs> triggered. Uh, they they look like replicas of American guns or European guns, and they were triggered electronically, so they have this orange flash. They couldn't fire blanks, so you couldn't get that barrel smoke or fire so they have this orange, so they look like they're blinking an orange flash or something. And in one film, Ken Takakura is mowing down all these guys with a Thompson machine gun. The problem is a Thompson machine gun is fed with a drum clip. You know, like you see the old Tommy guns uh, that you see in the Untouchables. Right. And so he's basically killing all these guys with a Tommy gun with no clip. <laughs> so, which I guess in Japan it doesn't matter. They don't know the guns that well, so they don't. They don't. They're not going to care. But right. you know, a gun person uh, over in America is going to laugh their heads off. Right. You know? <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. What really made me laugh in this movie was their use of obvious dummies. Whenever someone's getting thrown or falling. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, I remember uh, the our our uh, RoboCop knockoff picks up one of the vampires, uh, and he's a dummy. He's like a ragdoll dummy, and just tosses him. It's yeah. Like, and then one thing I read, and I didn't actually notice it, and I didn't feel like going back to look, but when the, when the RoboCop uh, shoots the flamethrower, apparently it's you can see that it's basically a rope that was like yeah. you know saturated with flammable substance. <laughs> yeah, they did, they just didn't care. <laughs> well, um, I'd always heard that story. Uh, apologies if I've explained this on the show before, but when Tom Savini went to work on a Wang Jing movie, Till Death Do We Scare, in Hong Kong. He noticed, like, at the studio, if they needed fog for a scene, they just started a fire in a trash can and blew the smoke over the camera. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and he and he said he actually had to give them the formula for more accurate uh, stage blood or camera blood. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah, so it's like they they kind of they uh, they fly by the seat of their pants with a lot of their, their <laughs> effects and technology, and and you know I never got the feeling they cared if this stuff was successful. I think it was more about securing video sales. Because right. none of this stuff played theaters. I don't think any of it played theaters. Oh no, this thing Which was is odd a, because they obviously use widescreen lenses in some scenes, and it's just strange. This thing was obviously just a straight up cash grab, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's all they did. And um, supposedly Richard Harrison, there's a lot of dispute whether this is true or not. But Richard Harrison claims he made an agreement to go over and film one ninja movie. And he realized two years later when he walked into the video store, they had taken the footage he made and edited it into about 10 different films. <laughs> and and there's some people who dispute it. They said, well, that's not true, because if you look at these films, he's saying different dialogue. He's calling himself a different name. So there's a dispute about this. But from what I'm told, uh, Richard Harrison is pretty honest about this stuff. And he's really nice. But he will no longer discuss the ninja stuff he did with Godfrey Ho. Oh, he just said uh, they, they ripped him off. I think. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think he probably agreed to do like three movies yeah, and filmed enough footage for it. And they put it into like 15 films or whatever. And so that, that, that messed up his career, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, didn't hurt him financially. The man lives in a beautiful, beautiful coastal mansion in Malibu. It's <laughs> wow. incredible. Uh, I think he calls it Casa de Francesca named after his wife. It's amazing. But um, I don't, I, I think he bought it with like, I guess he invested his money in real estate whenever he'd make like an Italian film or, or he made these Hong Kong movies, he would just throw the money into real estate. And I think he cashed out and he did great. Wow. And so he's living comfortably, but, uh, but yeah, there's dispute with whether or not he filmed a dozen movies and knew it, or he thought he was actually filming one or two movies and they just, you know, re-edited the footage and everything. So, <laughs> but you will see the Garfield phone memes and he's wearing in one scene, he's wearing a ninja costume and there's a headband that actually says ninja. Uh, <laughs> so just, I, I don't know. It's like, I don't know what really happened there. Only Richard and Godfrey Ho probably know the truth, but that's uh, he doesn't have nice words for that experience. Oh my God. That's too funny. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, but all right. So there's one scene that kind of disturbed me and I, I feel like it was real because these guys couldn't do a special effect to save their lives. Yeah. Where this lady's cutting this goat open so they can shove bags of cocaine into it. Do you think yeah. that was real? Yes, it was. Oh, my God. That, that was disturbing. Yeah, I, I have problems watching a lot of that stuff simply because I, I think they, they killed animals and everything in there. And I, I'm not like a big PETA type of person or whatever, but I do well, not yeah, like neither. watching yeah, I do not like watching animal cruelty on film. It's it's right. very hard to watch. unless it's it makes some sense. I, I I love old westerns. I do hate it when they trip horses. It's just very it's ugly to see. Yeah, and uh, and and so yeah, I, I had a problem. I had a problem with Mister Vampire because I think they really killed a chicken in one scene. That's right. Because yeah, I, think I have backyard hens, so I automatically have that <laughs> emotional response just because of my own hens, even though I eat chicken every day. Right. <laughs> But, it, you know, when you see it on film, it just doesn't seem necessary. But uh, I think they killed a goat. And uh, Richard Harrison described a gruesome story. I hope it's not true. I hope Richard is just making it up. Sadly, I think he's telling the truth that they uh, he and his wife were on the set 
and the the Chinese crew brought in a puppy and they were petting the puppy and everything. And then uh, they broke its neck. The Chinese oh. crew broke or a scene where a character discovers a dead puppy in his fridge or something. Oh my god, that's terrible. Yeah, boy, this this podcast is really getting into to dark territory. But <laughs> I I hope that story's not true. But I sadly I really do think it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. They they just don't view pet life or animal life as valuable, even though they love their dogs. That's the thing in Hong Kong. They love their pet dogs. They're crazy about them. But you know, it's kind of like, hey, it's a movie. We're just killing an animal. Who cares? Right. Yeah. Well, what was the horror movie in America that um, the uh, one of the characters was shooting rats with a shotgun and was actually really shooting them? Was it Day of the Animals or? Oh, I don't know. I've never seen it. It could be, though. I forget which one it was. One of those. I mean, I'm going to watching away. that and I hate rats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then there was another scene where they cut a snake open and pull like, a, I don't know if it was his poison sack out. Or was that? Yeah, in- Mr. Vampire. That was Mr. that Vampire. was real. That- yeah. That's a very common thing there, um, because in um, in certain uh, Oriental, or I shouldn't say that, uh, I'm thinking of about Bobby Kim there, but uh, Asian markets and like I guess we call them the wet markets or whatever, you could get say, snake bile cognac, and they do that to the snakes. They remove the gland or whatever, right? The snake bile, cognac. but um, it's I, I think it was legit. I think it was real. Yeah. And, it it's sad. It's tough. Like a friend of mine, uh, Damon Foster, was editor of a uh, Oriental Cinema. He called it, which is now a very outdated term. But uh, Damon is a big animal animal rights guy, and he really had a, he loved Mister Vampire, but he had a problem with that scene. And he believed in watching those movies three or four times before he would review them for his fanzine. And he says, "Oh, the scene where they remove the snake's bladder or whatever it is, it's like it really bothers me." Yeah, you know, it's just like. Yeah, there's there's real animal cruelty in these films. It's like they just don't have those rules. Right. You know, there's no ASCAP or whatever you call them or whatever the hell, you know, protection of animals or whatever. The funny thing is, in Hollywood, there was a scandal a couple of years ago where Spielberg on one of his films, they were very cruel to the horses. Huh. I think it was in that War Horse film or whatever. It's like, so it happens over here. It's like, it get, it gets covered up, but it does happen over here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially, I mean, they didn't, especially back then, they didn't have the animal protection things. And I think part of why they, because they didn't have those constraints, they couldn't do the effect and make it look effective. So they, they right. opted to kill the animal and make it look real, as you know, because it was real. Yeah. Well, I am proud to say if uh, you watch Mad Monkey Kung Fu, there's a disturbing scene where they're swinging around and killing the uh, the monkey, and it is actually it is a already dead or fake monkey. I am proud to say because when I watched the movie last time, I realized they switched from the live monkey to one that was obviously stuffed or whatever, or it wasn't real. <laughs> so they did not actually kill the monkey in that scene. That's good. <laughs> but I know some people have watched it and been disturbed by that, but watching it on the big screen, I said, okay, it's a fake monkey because it's not moving as he's bashing it against things. So right. they, uh, they, <laughs> they knew that was, that would be a bridge too far as killing a monkey on screen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So on to more sillier stuff in this movie, you know, of course, robo warrior, as they called him, he tells the bad guys they have 15 seconds to put down their weapons. And then he counts all 15 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, really? I have to wonder because Godfrey Ho probably had to enjoy the movie. He enjoyed Robocop subtitled in Chinese. And so he took the subtitles literally. And I don't know. <laughs> 
it's pretty ridiculous. It's uh, yeah. it reminds you of the thing and what was it, Troll Two or Troll Three, whatever the hell, where they said that the Italians had written the dialogue so strange and the actors were constantly telling them Americans don't talk like this, but they wouldn't <laughs> let them change the dialogue. You That's know? funny. <laughs> well, oh it's also Sergio Leone thinking uh, he thought duck you sucker was a term in America. Like that was slang. Right. That's right. And they said, Sergio, it's not. Nobody says this anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But, you know, this 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 movie, I don't know. But there was one sequence, one dialogue exchange that I thought was absolutely hilarious because apparently you can get um, cyborg approval very easily. Because yeah. I, I didn't even know who the character was, but he, so just so you know that I got a dog walking around now in the background and she has this right. jingling collar. But anyways, um, the soldier, I don't know who he was. He's fighting cats, Roger. Oh, yeah. Much better than fighting. <laughs> uh, he looked like he was in charge and he goes, well, since Tom's dead, I want to make use of his body to make an android like an android like robot, Mr. Glenn. I'd appreciate you approving my application. So, Mr. Glenn... <laughs> Mr. Glenn goes, are you assured success? And he just nods and goes, mm-hmm. So Glenn goes, all right, your application's approved. May I remind you of one point? You must proceed with your invention with great care and with strict confidence, all right? He's like, yeah, all right. <laughs> it's well, it's, uh, it's not exactly Deathlock the Demolisher, is it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, it w- I watched this twice, and... Oh my god! I know you are a braver man than I am. I know. Well, what I usually do is I'll watch a movie and then I'll watch it again and take notes. And the second time right. through was really difficult. <laughs> it was just oh my god! The Robo Warrior gets blown up at one point, like completely blown to shit, and then he's brought back and he still got his human face. <laughs> <laughs> because probably another unit shot the blow up scene. Right. Right. <laughs> They just put it in there just to have a dramatic scene to give it effect, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't care about continuity. They don't even care. It's like Godfrey Ho. It's funny. All the stereotypes of bad um, Asian filmmaking can be applied to his work, even yeah. though Witty wanted to be. He could make a pretty good kung fu flick, you know, in the seventies. But right. just boy, by the time he got into this type of cash grab with Thomas Tang and Joseph Lai. It didn't matter. He was just going to make some garbage. Because I there's a movie he made that I really love. It is goofy as hell, but it was it's astonishingly entertaining. The Dragon, the Hero. It is a blast. It has John Liu, his Dragon Lee. I believe Godfrey Ho actually did direct it. It has a lot of familiar faces in Hong Kong cinema. It is a crazy film. It is crazy and entertaining. And it has spectacular action. And uh, it's, but for him, it was like that one lucky strike or something. <laughs> oh my god! Which makes me wonder if he even really directed it. <laughs> right, right. And it was weird, like the the little details they chose to focus on. You know, they couldn't really get the the RoboCop costume, but there was a scene where this vampire pukes, and there's an extreme close up of a puddle that's full of maggots. Which... Yeah, with the maggots and stuff yeah. on the ground, and. Uh... <laughs> They really like that. They think that image is so terrifying. That's something about I usually avoid Hong Kong horror from like before Mr. Vampire because there's a lot of puking of worms. <laughs> that is a big thing with them. And I, I don't know why, but they really 
worm puking is their big fear or something. Maybe there's diseases <laughs> or poisoned food. I, I don't know. It's like, but that what they consider scary or horrifying is we just consider absolutely gross and should be a forbidden image. They're they're very strange about that stuff. Right, right. <laughs> it's a Chinese sensibility thing. It's like, you know, in their culture, gambling is super common. So the sting was a huge hit in Hong Kong in 73 or whenever it came out. Huh. And so there's tons of Hong Kong gambling movies throughout the 70s, 80s, but it wasn't really a vibrant genre until God of Gamblers with Chai and Fat and Casino Raiders with Andy Law and uh, Alan Tam. Oh, interesting. And I, by the way, these movies are not good unless you really like to watch poker on television, which I, I'm not in that crowd. It's not for me. But uh, these movies bore the hell out of me when I watch them. Even God of Gamblers I used to like, but now I tried to watch it recently. I was like, oh my, what was I thinking? This these gambling movies are terrible. Right, right. Well, there's a, a Venom Mob film, uh, of course, I can't think of the name of it now, that, that centered around gambling, and that was like one Life of their Gamble? weakest. Yeah, Life that Gamble, was... yeah. That was yeah. one of their weakest movies. <laughs> Yeah, it's not good. Um, a, a lot of them are like that. It's just like having worked in a casino, I find gambling obnoxious. You know, it's just yeah. like, I'm just, I don't need it. But their culture, they love gambling. That's one of their great pastimes. So yeah. it's very, very vibrant in, in, the, in the culture. Yeah. Um, just a couple of quick more things and then we'll wrap this up. I, um, I did like the, when they, especially towards the beginning, um, when they had the vampires, it was a big scene with them with, um, Ch uh, Sun Chen. That was mm -hmm. kind of cool. And you know, the 80 synth score was, you know, adequately mediocre, I guess. <laughs> aggressively mediocre might be better yeah i think it was stolen i think the music was stolen well there were some points where the the notes in the music sounded just like david bowie's cat people theme to me because it was taken from it it was stolen from it yeah yeah they they have frequently uh all, all those godfrey ho ninja movies would steal tangerine dream soundtracks they would i can't tell you how many times i heard sorcerer the soundtrack to Sorcerer, the William oh, Friedkin yeah. movie in there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in different films, uh, not this one particularly. I don't, I don't know the Cat People music, so I couldn't identify it. But uh, I think any any of them, there's no original music for any of them. I think it's always stolen. Because they know no Hollywood lawyer is going to come after them for this stuff. Because nobody pays attention to the, right. the garbage they were releasing. So, But yeah, a lot of them, I, they'd always have this cool music. I was like, oh, this must have been recorded specifically for this film. It's like, Oh no! It was uh, Tangerine Dream's third album. It was um, Hands' <laughs> third album, or whatever the hell. You know, they were they were just stealing it. It was like they'd see a movie. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a real funny story. Uh, yeah, John Woo's the killer. For the sound effects for the guns, all they did was uh, rent a RoboCop laser disc from the Hong Kong video store <laughs> and steal the gunshot sound effects from RoboCop. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and so that John was the killer. You're basically hearing RoboCop's pistols and all that stuff. That's a riot. I never knew that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just that basic. It's that kind of, hey, let's put on a show type of attitude that you have to kind of admire when you hear about it because you think, oh, they have this professional Foley effects thing. And it's like, no, they just took a laser disc of another movie and stole the gunshot sounds. Right, right. Because, you know, if you fire guns, they don't sound the way they do in movies. They sound like... Movies they sell like cannons, in real life they sell like firecrackers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. So yeah. So a couple of last things in this film. Um, we never actually did see Sophie again, even though they assembled a team to find her, but we never find out what <laughs> happens to her. 
She's lost in the tie footage. Uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Quick, over here where the plot's thinner. Yeah, where, where those ties are. Yeah, <laughs> their, their movie. <laughs> um, and I, I will, you know, spoiler alert, folks at home listening who haven't seen this film and possibly think you might want to. First, you probably should see a psychiatrist if you do. But um, yeah. there is no actual robo-vampire in the movie Robo Vampire. Right. Just, I hate to tell you. <laughs> it's too bad. They they really missed an opportunity there because they should have had it where the the vampire was like part robot or something. Yeah. With like a Mecha Godzilla or Mecha Ghidra type of uh, cyborg creature. That would have been more interesting than just doing dead-on rip-offs of RoboCop and Mr. Vampire. Right, exactly. I mean, I thought he was going to get bit like in the face or the neck or whatever flesh was left in him. and then. Yeah, yeah, so did I. I thought that would happen. <laughs> I was like, that. it would have made the movie more memorable. It's like, hey, you know what? You're just ripping stuff off anyway. Why don't you just go crazy with it? You don't right. care if it makes sense. But go bananas. <laughs> it's like, that was my problem with the, the Captain America movie that... Uh, they made the first Avenger or whatever. Like they subtitled it. Well, okay, it's a movie. Why isn't he punching out Hitler? Right, right. It's a movie. Go crazy with it. You don't have to be I historically know. accurate. It's Marvel Universe stuff. Hey, go crazy. Go nuts with this. Well, and especially just, with that iconic Jack Kirby artwork of him. Yeah, doing yeah. Bring it to life. You know, wouldn't that be fun? It's like you'd really remember that movie if you had that scene and. It doesn't give it to you. Right. Well, not to get too far on a tangent, but I I do remember reading at the time that they decided not to even show, if you notice, there's no swastikas at all in Captain America, the first Avenger, because they wanted to sell the movie in Germany as well, and they didn't want to offend the Germans. Oh, boo-hoo. And that's so cowardly, because it's like, just CGI the German version. Like, is the gross of that film (laughs) that valuable, where you remove the basics of history? Right, exactly. So, all right, folks, I'm going to ruin the end of this movie, and I'm going to tell you that the um, the ghost uh, rakes the wizard's face with her nails. Then the robo-warrior uses his flamethrower on the g- vam- on the gorilla vampire, and then the movie ends. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I did love it where the ghost was, uh, when she would fight, it was obviously like a Chinese stuntman wearing, like, uh, a veil and stuff. Yes. And he was doing, like, cartwheels and, <laughs> and yeah. wushu uh peeking opera moves while fighting and then it cuts back to her and, and she's got this magic weaponized negligee <laughs> <laughs> they spared no expense with robo vampire right you know. well john i know you don't want to but why don't you give us your final thoughts on robo vampire <laughs> uh don't watch this don't watch this movie unless you've seen like um i would say watch about 300 good hong kong movies and then you can watch this and see, okay, yeah, they have a they have their own Ed Wood type of thing going on here. Yeah. Although the difference is I think Ed Wood thought he was a good filmmaker but wasn't. And Godfrey Ho knows he's not really a good filmmaker. And it isn't. was just going for the cash. <laughs> I really like I think Herschel Gordon Lewis is a better comparison. Herschel Gordon Lewis knew he was making bad movies. He just didn't care. Right. Yeah, that's true. You know, well, I read a, a line, uh, a review online that summed it up perfectly, this movie. Uh, it said, so even though this film is moronic, incoherent, insulting, trashy, and schizophrenic, dull is something it most definitely int- isn't. And, you know, I will have to agree with that to some extent. I mean, you know, there's lots of fighting, lots of shooting, explosions, Chinese vampires, and a mo- robo-warrior. You know, it's, it's, it's mindless fun that doesn't make a lick of sense, and if you find that you're going to have to watch this movie i just check your brain at the door and do it after several beers 
That's what I say. Yeah, it's it would I I think I guess you would call it like a riff tracks or mystery science theater three thousand sort of thing. I don't know. I mean, I know the a lot of people like that stuff. Uh, it's not for me. I've kind of outgrown it. Oh, like I just funny. I can't sit through a bad movie anymore. I just life's too short. I guess. And <laughs> now that I've turned fifty, I really don't want to sit through this type of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like I watched um, Plan Nine from Outer Space. The last time I watched it was a few years ago. ago. I don't enjoy this anymore. I just like I'm just seeing bad filmmaking. It's not fun. It's yeah. like it's kind of sad and pathetic in a way. It's just like I don't know. Maybe I've lost that that heartless uh, <laughs> desire to laugh at somebody's incompetence. I just can't do it anymore. Right. <laughs> you know, and and this sort of thing, which I I do think these movies did a lot of damage to the genre in American video stores, and. Um, you know, I just I always have a problem sitting through them. I mean, you can watch it on Tubi for free. Give it a shot. Um, I would have it on his background noise, basically. Right. I agree. It, you know, like sometimes you get to hear the dialogue and it's really funny. Like sometimes I, I run if I don't feel like listening to music or or the radio, I will while I work, I will run one of these just awful, cheap um, Godfrey Ho level films and kind of just hear the dialogue and laugh at it. You know? Right. <laughs> I'm probably the only person who does this, but it works for me sometimes if I don't feel like listening to tunes or, you know, yeah. or talk radio or whatever. I'm going to listen to a podcast. I'll I'll just run one of these silly things. <laughs> hey, whatever works, man. Whatever works. Exactly. It's like it can't be explained. Yeah. <laughs> well, John, thank you so much once again for joining me today. Sorry I had to suffer through this uh, god-awful film. Um, it happens. I mean, <laughs> gosh, on the MMC, I can't tell you how many bad movies I sat through. Like, oh, <laughs> when we review a Rob Zombie movie, I really, you know, I'm I'm really taking it on the chin there. Oh, geez. <laughs> All right, well, well, John, can you tell our audience where to find you online? Uh, www.midnightmoviecowboys.com. Uh, you will have audio version of our podcast. And if you go to YouTube and you search the term, midnight movie cowboys our youtube channel should show up we for the past six or seven months we have been doing video versions of our podcast and um some people dig them uh they're great for the whip out your junk segment which is where we show what we <laughs> bought that week and DVDs and dvds uh it's funny i've done this gag twice with roger because we recorded two shows still laughing at it it's funny and, every um, time Every time it, it, it's like a get smart joke. You know, yeah, it's always going to be. When am I going to say it, though? That's the that's the trick. Um, you know, we, we've had uh, some we've had guests who are uh, some big names. We had Chris Poggioli on a couple of shows. We did the first the first podcast to review the farmer, the Gary Conway vigilante thriller, because a bootleg upload was on YouTube for 24 hours <laughs> and we were able to watch it and review the film so we were the first podcast ever to review the farmer and because of our podcast uh the olsons decided whichever brother decided to release it on blu-ray so you can thank us wow because we we applied the pressure and uh you can see uh one of the olsen brothers uh, i can't remember if it's walter i think it's bill olsen uh, arguing with Chris Poggioli on our YouTube page on that video where we reviewed the farmer about uh, facts about the film, and you know, uh, but we got it. We kind of helped in getting that released, and because we were the first to review it, which was quite an accomplishment. That's awesome. That's awesome. Exactly. So you, you can thank us, sort of. 
<laughs> so cool. And, and one of our one of our good fans, uh, Van Lucasen, he he posted that uh, that video on YouTube, and everybody was calling him names and everything. But it's like if it wasn't for him, that wouldn't have been released on Blu-ray. Right. Right. <laughs> Well, he wouldn't great, have the man. farmer and it would still be this legendary vigilante film that no one has seen right. since 1987. So. <laughs> oh my god well i'm gonna have to check that out now too oh, my oh god. yeah yeah definitely that show is is definitely worth a listen i think it's a good show nice um all right john well thank you so much for joining me once again today and um like i always say you've got an open invitation to come back on then is now whenever you want doesn't just have to be the 13 days every year it's you know feel like okay. hey man i want to talk about this movie and you know they don't want to talk about it on my show give me a holler you know yeah that, that, there's probably a long list i could probably <laughs> <laughs> Roger, it's sometimes it's hard to get those guys it's hard for three people to be on the same page right certain you know, especially living so far apart as you guys do. Exactly. And we all, and here's the thing. We all have different tastes. Yeah. That's the unique thing about the show. We don't all like the same. You know, there will be shows where one of us will like something uh, like uh, we did the Rob Zombie movie, whatever the last was, Three from Hell. Yes. Uh, yeah. Stu, the Australian, loved it. Me and Hunter hated it. So the whole oh, that's thing funny. is like this. <laughs> it's this push and pull of, of love and hate through the whole show. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Like, uh, but you know, it's just like, that's, that's what happens. That's the fun of doing that show is like, we even did a show one time years ago where we each reviewed a movie. The other two had not seen. Oh, wow. It was the weirdest podcast game, but we were getting so bored and we were pressured to come up with a different type of show every week. I came up with this idea because I was sent a screener disc and I said, I got to review this thing. Hey, I got an idea. So <laughs> I said, let's each review a movie. The other has not seen or heard of. And so you had to, you had weird gimmicks like that. That's great. That's so awesome. <laughs> All right, cool, man. Well, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Okay, folks, that's all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you for joining us for our special 2022 13 Days of Hallow Tober event in which we're discussing vampire films this year. I just want to briefly remind you that we've got a live streaming monthly series called The Fright Lounge in which we discuss all horror media for seasoned horror fans, as well as those of you who don't know if you want to get into horror. We've also got a new podcast called The Cult Movie Lounge in which award-winning blogger Robert Manel and I discuss all cult movies all the time. And here's, of course, our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and Spaghetti Western movies, all of which can be found at our website, Haven Podcasts, that's plural, havenpodcasts.com. And while you're at our website, be sure to click on our Patreon link and TeePublic link to help support the show. We've also got a YouTube page, so please go to youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 and subscribe to it. And don't forget to hit that little bell so you get notifications when we put out new episodes. And of course, we want your feedback, so please email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. And you can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group as well. Then Is Now podcast is part of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please check out the other great shows there at thedorkeningpodcastnetwork.com. 
That's right, folks. And all of those links, like I said, they're on our website as well as in our show notes of every episode. And we are on all the podcasting apps. So if you like our show, please go to wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review because that bumps us up the list in the algorithm and helps more people to find us. Thank you for joining us today. Class dismissed. Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media. like the one you just heard check out the dorkening podcast network at the dorkening.com